0: Hugh. (laughs) Hugh. It's me. It's Elliot. Okay, no games, come on, let's just go. It's Elliot. No, bullshit, come on. 50
1: years. Who gets proof of concept like that? What?
2: Peaches and plums, motherfucker. I'm alive in here.
3: Peaches and plums, motherfucker. Welcome to episode 405 of Physical Kids Weekly, Escape from the Happy Place. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And our first guest today is Mike Moore, who wrote this episode and has a penchant for ripping out our collective hearts with choice Quelliot content. Mike.
1: Hello, that's my job.
3: (laughs) Welcome back. (laughs) Thank
1: you. Thanks for having me.
4: And we're also joined joined by Sergio Osuna, who plays... Rafe, translator and possible lover to the sloth Abigail. Welcome back, Sergio.
2: Well, thank you, possible lover. I think it's it's uh, it's safe <laughs> to say that Maybe, 100% lower. <laughs> Thank you for having me.
3: Um, so I, since we've had you both on before, we're going to dive into the episode pretty much right away, but I'm going to start with a quick recap for our listeners. I have to say, it was really hard for me to get everything in here, so I'm glossing over a couple details, but hopefully it'll work. Um, all right, here's what happened. The episode starts off in Elliot's happy place, the part of his mind and memories he's been exiled to by the monster. Charlton, the monster's previous host, finds him there and explains what's going on, telling Elliot that he might be able to communicate with his friends if he's willing to face his most painful memories and learn from them. Back in the real world, Alice traps Plover in the poison room before showing up on Marina's doorstep to warn Quentin that he's going to die and to save him. Just as Alice, Quentin, or Julia, and Shoshana are about to kill the monster, so you see I glossed over some stuff, Elliot breaks through and tells Quentin he's still alive. He jumps... Uh, Quentin jumps in front of Elliot right as Alice is about to kill him, saving him and eliciting Iris's wrath. So then the monster kills Iris. The magicians scramble to regroup. Oh, and at some point in all of this, Penny Twenty Three gets stabbed in the neck, neck with a syringe. Did I miss anything, Danny? Shoshana died. You missed that. Oh yeah, I did miss that Shoshana <laughs> died. <laughs> there are a, a high high number of deaths in this episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, just a quick little bottle episode. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, so, Danny, what did you think of the episode?
4: It was really good. It was like too good for like mid season, almost. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it felt right that it was exact same episode the next season that yeah, you go yeah. back to. twelly. yeah, because the so. life in the day
3: was three oh five.
4: Mm-hmm. It was really good. I I I loved it. I mean, I. Cried at my screen with with Quelliot, so
3: (laughs) I I loved it uh danny and i have been trading notes with each other this entire season and oh, yeah. um, there's a section of her notes she has like sections for each general plot line or character and the end of her section on elliot is quentin tried to make quely happen for real and elliot turned him <laughs> down omfg and then Quelliot with about <laughs> 30 t's <laughs>
2: i counted them yeah 30 yeah <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, I, I have to agree, though, this is, I think this is my favorite episode of the season so far. There are a lot of really big emotional notes in it, from watching Elliot face all those traumatic events to seeing Alice and Quentin together again. And for me, Alice's speech where she asks Quentin what she needs to do to redeem herself, that is in some ways, like, the quality stuff is amazing and I love it, but in some ways I think that's the most moving part because we're just, like, her journey this season, the end of last season, is so dark and so, I don't know, I just feel for her so much and that, like, Quentin won't forgive her and won't even entertain the notion that she can be forgiven and then that she, like, knows that and keeps trying anyway to do what she can to help them I just feel like that is just the the like pinnacle of bravery. Um, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> and and Sergio, you watch these as a fan too, right? Did you have any like fan thoughts before we ask you for your actor's take?
2: Yes, but I also had um, a, um, a lot of actor things. Like since the second I, I first read this the the script, I felt that this episode in particular was very. Um, there were a lot of things that, as an actor, you would. Kill to do, to go back into, uh, for example, that Eliot, all his memories, and go back to the most painful memories or the most uh, important memories as a child, um, and see which ones um, are the ones that stick to you and change your humanity. Um, uh, that to be reading it, I know that you know I'm not Eliot, but to be reading it, it's like it's it's so juicy, it's so exciting. Uh, to mm-hmm. me, and also what you what you said about Alice, how painfully human it is to keep trying and trying and trying until you get a, a different outcome, but she just does not give up. But one question that I had for Mike, as a fan, separating myself from the show. <laughs> I've always said that uh, a life in the day has been one of my favorite episodes, um, and this one uh, follows that, um, especially because of the relationship between uh, Quentin and Elliot. And but I wanted to know if you had this, this in your mind since season three, 305, or is this something that you kind of like? Oh, this could be so good. Or and if you did have it like since <laughs> season three. How did you not? Uh, how did you keep it inside without bursting? Exploding?
1: <laughs> um, yes. Which Which answer makes me sound smarter? <laughs> 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 no, this. It's. It was not planned since season three. This was something we discovered. Um, go, breaking this episode was a bit of a escape from the happy place of for the writers' room itself. Like we knew we wanted to dig deep into Elliot's memories and past.
0: Hmm.
1: We wanted to find something there. Like, we just knew we wanted to find what's the thing he regrets the most, and it shouldn't be an obvious trauma. Um, so I think it honestly took us probably, we had the epi- the entire episode totally broken, except for what's that final piece for Elliot. And it took us a couple days, like two or three in the room, I think, of just talking about Elliot and his past and, and our pasts and like, what are our most, we basically had therapy for like two or three days. <laughs> <laughs> <for> therapy. <laughs> um, before we finally realized, I think it was David Reed actually had that, one of those brilliant revelations where it's like, oh, of course it's been right in front of us the whole time. I think we were we were especially taken by the fact that it probably wasn't a good idea to have <laughs> Quelliot to hook up at that point. Um uh, like, considered in 305, right. like uh, all things considered, in that exact moment, Quentin was definitely reaching. Hmm. But what hurts Elliot, what hurts Elliot the most about it isn't that he you know made possibly the right decision or was rude to his friend. It was that an opportunity for happiness stood right in front of him. And instead of even considering the options, he just snuffed it out right away and shut the conversation down. Um, His distrust of actual happiness is, yeah, what we finally found is like uh, maybe this is the, the teeny tiny itch way inside of Elliot that that drives everything else. So, to answer your question, no, I didn't think of this. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so you didn't have to worry about not exploding for an entire season. That's probably safer. Yeah. Oh, I
1: wouldn't. Yeah. And I'm terrible with secrets. Like... <laughs> <laughs>
3: I have to tell you, like, this is the episode that has challenged me the most to, like, not say anything to anyone about... Yeah. For so many... I mean, like, the quality of stuff, just because, like... I, Danny, is. I don't know if you've experienced this the same way, but, like, for me, I've been watching Twitter over the last couple of weeks, and, like, people are going nuts about, like, about the monster potentially, like, being there forever, and us not getting Ooh. Elliot back, and a lot of the way that this is manifesting is people saying, "When are we gonna get some more Queliot?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yeah. And every time I,
1: and I guess I wasn't. I guess I wasn't trying to say earlier like there should never be a Queliot. Yeah. I mean, like in that, in that exact scene.
2: Yeah. Um, oh, that specific moment. In yeah, and time, that specific yeah. moment,
1: Quentin, as he is often wont to do, yeah. sometimes lets his emotions drive him a little bit. Oh yeah, <laughs> he was driving to this conclusion, and
3: yeah. Anyway, go. Ahead. I I think it's pretty clear <laughs> that okay. that Quelyt is going to be on the table after this episode. <laughs> yeah, I keep
4: teasing people on Twitter, and I'm just like, "You're not even ready for this episode," because they're not.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know. Were you? I think I can't remember if you were on this chain or if it was just the chain. If if the if it was just a chain with Henry, but like. When we were pr- trying to, to plan th- this episode and the last one of the podcast, I sent him a I sent him an email and I was like, you know, the entire fandom's gonna shit itself when it sees these episodes, right? <laughs> <laughs> he was like, yep, yep, we know. <laughs> That's our goal. I I have shit. another question for you, Mike. Which is, it sounds like I mean, if that if you didn't have that like final piece at the end, what was the original kernel that was in the pitch? Like, what was the very first thing in the pitch?
1: yeah of uh, for what that final piece would be?
3: no, just for what this episode was,
1: yeah. oh, the episode was we find Elliot trapped in his mind palace, and he has to get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. Yeah. There were I don't know how many it this, this episode, I think, went through definitely the most iterations of outline of yeah. of what we broke
0: yeah. um, that
1: I, for anything I've ever written. At one point, it was like, he wakes up on a farm, and then at one point he was wakes up in a warehouse. <laughs> we were, and then um, we watched that Teddy Perkins episode of Atlanta, and we're like,
0: "Oh yeah!"
1: And that just like threw us on a left turn for a long time. Yeah, I'd say we bounced around among among a bunch of different costumes for what this story could be. I guess, hmm. but the, the idea that. We started with that stayed true through the end was we find Elliot. He comes to realize, oh my God, I'm trapped in this place and I need to get out. And that was it. And then the open-ended of it, the open-endedness of it both like slowed us down because there's so many possibilities and so many directions we could go. We kind of had to test drive a bunch of different stories to see why they didn't work before landing on the one we did. But at the same time, I think breaking all those different possible story possibilities, and it really challenged us to take this very wide open possibility of a story and hone down on what basically it made us defend why we wanted to tell the story, which, yeah, is just about confronting, not just confronting yourself, but confronting the parts of yourself. That you don't want to, or that you don't even know that are there, and how sometimes it's just the simplest grain of sand and your inner workings can Mm -hmm. just grate all your gears.
3: Yeah, it's funny because over the weekend I binge watched Russian Doll, which is oh, yeah, yeah, it's like kind of another TV show that is about a weird, like, sci fi or fantasy conceit. That, like, or a weird, like, sci fi and fantasy way of basically, like, doing therapy on yourself. Yeah. 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 It was really funny because I had seen this episode first, I think, before that came out, but definitely before I'd seen any of it, and watching it again today, after having binged it, it was like, oh, (laughs) there's like, this is a thing that's happening right now, like in the zeitgeist. (laughs) I've only seen the
1: pilot of Russian Doll. Um, But just watching that, I was having to say, like, even just her walk out of the bathroom Mm. um, had my mind pinging to the the opening party scene with Elliot, Mm. where he still thinks he's in the PKC and hasn't realized yet yeah yeah i think yeah for whatever reason there's a bunch of people yeah. thinking about what it means to be thinking about yourself <laughs>
4: was was the happy place a reference to the good place uh,
1: <laughs> not consciously but subconsciously I'm positive.
3: <laughs> well i mean i'm all for crossover episodes <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: a lot of good place fans i think in our fandom
0: <laughs>
1: yeah oh and, and um, we talk about it in the room every once in a while but it's that's a really really smart show that it is. just pokes at humanity and see what it does <laughs> Yeah, I, a, it, yeah.
4: Take, it takes all these really complicated complex like philosophical ideas and just like breaks it down into like a 30 yeah. minute TV show. So.
3: I wrote my or undergrad well. I wrote my undergrad ethics thesis on Tim Scanlon. Different different <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> Yeah, on, uh, The Difficulty of Tolerance which is one of his other works about God this is so dorky but basically the thesis the like thrust <laughs> of it is that um, you can't be tolerant of something that you don't hate. And so taking apart like what that means and what the role is of tolerance in society versus mm. acceptance versus like rejections, I guess. Mm. I know he's a smart guy. Anyway, uh, Tim Scanlon, for those of you who don't know, also wrote uh, what it is we owe to each other, which is like the big text that they talk about a lot in season two of the good place. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know, no, no. Don't Dork.
0: Yeah.
4: <laughs> All right. Should we move on, Clara? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sergio, when you read the script for this episode, what were your initial thoughts asking you as an actor now?
2: I think um, it was what I kind of mentioned before, which was the humanity of it all, I think, and how everybody seems to need everybody or someone in this episode specifically i i feel uh whether it is um elliot needs himself to find the door and then at the end uh he needs quentin uh shoshana needs julia and loves her and wants to you know be with her penny julia to the attraction that that he has um Mm -hmm. alice uh to quentin I don't know if, if it's uh, rave to Abigail. I don't know if it's, <laughs> if it's um, uh, needing to validate yourself, but yeah. the 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 need that, that the characters have for uh, another um, person or entity or whatever it was very palpable in this in this script, and I like that.
1: That's super interesting. I'm like, when you say that, I think of all the ways that some of the characters tried to refuse that help
0: yeah initially
1: mm. yeah penny well julia rejecting it that's not julian penny is kind of its own thing but yeah. definitely quentin and alice yeah um, and even i mean elliot definitely needed charlton but i think yeah he was he didn't realize the way in which he needed him until the very end yeah. um yeah he thought it was just gonna be this like, his Dante getting him around the underworld? Yeah. yeah. But when he, in fact he just he needed to listen to somebody else share their pain so he could
2: find the own pain within himself. Yeah, and I don't know if it's if it's a very selfish thing to do because you need someone else to uh, for a selfish purpose or or something or if you in finding that person or that's something that you need, you you connect with the other person a little bit more, a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm.
3: I also love, there's just, there, you know, we talked about the, like, the big quali moments and um, about the sort of central, the center of this episode, which is Elliot going back into his mind, but there are kind of bits of inhumanity in Elliot's memories before he even knows what's going on. Like, I, I think... <laughs> How many times have we talked about that moment where we find out that Todd's real name is Elliot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it, I, I text, I actually, that was the one time that I like, I couldn't help myself. I spoiled something for Danny. <laughs> I was like, right. I just need yeah. to tell you. <laughs> I was like, there's this amazing mean girls hoop earrings moment in this episode. <laughs> it's like, just guess. What do you think Todd's real name is? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was bad Yeah,
1: I think we can thank Delirium for that joke. yeah, had, yeah. had a place like I knew there was some joke to be made yeah. about Todd's first inter- introduction to Elliot.
0: Yeah. I didn't know what it
1: was, yeah. so I just had this placeholder in there in the script yeah. for a week. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And then finally, like, once my once my brain kind of cracked a little bit after working on the script for a week, yeah. I'm like, oh, of course.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, that was great.
4: Elliot exactly is the kind of person that would take away his name from him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he yeah. is Regina George.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: I so and, much about it says so much about Todd, too. Uh-huh. Uh, he just went with it. He just went with it. Yeah. This goes back to what Sergio's saying. Like, look at that first interaction with them. Todd needs a mentor slash dad figure. Yeah. So yeah, he'll go by his middle name if that gets him lead <laughs> in that role.
4: Oh. I just love that everyone else goes along with it too. Like even Fog calls him
3: Todd oh, and I, like, <laughs> <laughs> i think one of the things that struck me about this episode is uh kind of the way the drama unfolds because for me in the back of my mind the entire time is that if elliot wasn't able to successfully face his demons and take over like not only would he be dead but no one else would ever know he was he had been alive at that point like nothing would have changed for anyone else so the The drama is there, but it's entirely on Elliot's side. He's the only person who knows he has anything to lose.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: Also, like, the monster doesn't seem to be aware that Elliot even took over for, like, a couple seconds.
3: Yeah, any thoughts about that, (laughs) Mike? (laughs) About the monster's awareness? The way we talked
1: about it in the room is that little period for the monster is like a like when you stand up too fast and you get lightheaded for a second and then everything goes mm-hmm. back to normal <laughs> yeah. and then mm-hmm. you go about your day um yeah. like it's so how many times has this ever happened to Monster once maybe when Charlton yeah. got to his door I was
0: um,
4: he, also he, curious about Charlton how is he <laughs> able to exist like yeah. how is he able to be there cause isn't his body dead <laughs>
1: His body's dead, yeah, but his consciousness gets carried. So whenever the monster takes over your mind and he hop, whenever he hopped to the next body, everything comes with him. Okay. All the different consciousnesses that he's inhabited in the past.
3: I have a question for you then about, like, what the word host means because Charlton also makes that comment that the, like, weird crow raven Creatures, which I have more on that for later, um, are the monster's other hosts.
1: Yeah. So the mythology that we talked about was so there's this monster, and he gets put in this prison, um, and he's just this like gaseous gold blob. Um, <laughs> he's a gold so fart. So he escapes from his. Yeah, he's a little cute little fart. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and. Knowing what he does about his abilities, that he can hop into bodies and body hop and then take consciousnesses with him. Mm -hmm. He just takes out everybody that's in the castle at the end of the world. Mm -hmm. All those terrible monsters and creatures there. Mm -hmm. And then his final resting place, his final body before Elliot, is Charlton, the cook. But by the time he gets to Charlton, he has all these monsters that he's taking with him. Collected,
0: yeah. (laughs)
4: Mm-hmm. I want to make sure we talk about Alice too I just feel so bad for her She's trying so hard to do the right thing And redeem herself And no one will forgive her Even though lots of other characters Have done shady things and been forgiven
3: Danny, we talked about this in the last episode too And I think like the, the big thing that I keep feeling Is that she fucked up But first of all Lots of other characters have fucked up In like pretty atrocious ways um mm-hmm. I like to talk about Tick because I think he had this like huge <laughs> betrayal and now he's back in a position of power. Um mm-hmm. but like Julia also in season 1, right? And you were saying that like Quentin was her biggest defender in season 1, but now he can't even consider forgiving Alice. I
4: I think I know where it comes from, but it's still not something I agree with. It's I think it comes from the fact that Quentin probably feels more betrayed because she held him accountable for shit for so long Mm. that I feel like he might be doing the same thing back to her.
3: So it's like moral high horse payback.
1: Yeah. I think that's definitely part of it. I think there's also... um, I think the first part of the question answers the second part for me. Like The reason he could be so... Absolute in his dismissal of her um, and so stern about his line with her is because he opened himself up to her mm. more than any other character, like even more than Julia in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it's one of those things where you can only be hurt, you can be hurt by the most, by the people you care about the most. Yeah. Um, because every betrayal isn't just... A material betrayal it's also a pure betrayal of trust it's a you know thinking back to 313 on the boat and she lies she lies to him she lies to his face um it is for a purpose she thinks is good but she absolutely lies directly to his face undermines everything he's done all season i do think if it had been a different character a character that wasn't alice that had done it uh, Quinn's reaction would have been different yeah I don't think it would have been as as determined as he is to hate her yeah because um, yeah. yeah even after saving his life um, he's very clear with her that that's yes,
4: not
0: enough
1: that's not gonna cut it um, there's she did something to to him uh, to his heart that nobody else could could possibly do because nobody else had that close of a connection with his heart.
3: Yeah.
2: If I could just say something, um, yeah. that uh, sometimes, some, uh, something that I do sometimes when reading a script is there's a few lines that, uh, that kind of like jump out at me as, um, uh, person. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, there's one line, uh, that you wrote, uh, that kind of like, uh, to me uh, means a lot. And it says, um, I think somebody somebody said this to Alice actually. Apologize for what you've done, but never for who you are. That'll never mm. change. So why pretend?
0: I was mm-hmm. yeah.
2: so, yes, I think so. So I, I I feel like she's apologizing for everything that she's done, but uh, but maybe Quentin knows in the core of her who she is and and he can't uh accept that i guess i don't know Uh,
3: um (laughs) well we were we were talking too about how like so she right like she kills plover we are not (laughs) we haven't talked about that yet this episode but it, (laughs) it is a thing that happens right like and they have a lot of conversations both in this episode and the last one where he's essentially being the adult in the room and trying to teach her how to like forgive herself and move forward and He's he's doing a therapy-type role with her. Um, and she's just not having any of it. And I just... I keep going back to, like, how much of, his, of her um, not forgiving him is really about her inability to forgive herself.
1: Yeah, there's absolutely a lot in there. But also I think when she hears you can change what you do but not who you are... Yeah. Right, as she's about to deliver him to this unknown world, there is... He molested Martin Chatwin. Yeah, and yeah. she absolutely knows that. Yeah, I do think that's, that is a major part of her decision. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you can, we can interpret this a million different ways. I think <laughs> um, one valuable thing I learned uh, in school yeah. was that once it's on the screen, you've said everything you can say <laughs> and then people to interpret. Yeah. Um, yeah. So at this point now, I'm not like, saying what we meant or what I meant or anything. This is just like me now sitting back and kind of interpreting. But I think um, there's also just, in that moment with Plover at the fountain, she's still trying to make herself a better person. She's still trying to move from bad person to good person. Um, And so she thinks, okay, well, maybe preventing a child molester from going to a different world is some points for good. Mm-hmm. Um, Ooh. to go back to our good place, uh, <laughs> <sistership>. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I was like, yeah. uh, yeah. that I didn't know about at the time that I was writing this because I'm not cool <laughs> and I'm actually 80, probably 80, um, mm-hmm. is the concept of con- of, uh, cancel culture where,
0: Oh yeah. Um,
1: Celebrities or politicians or friends, whomever, um, with uh, with a slip up, be it small, be it large, be it a or more, more than a slip up, an actual mistake, yeah, or full on canceled, and I think that's definitely where Alice knows she is with her friends. Um, she's completely in the shit with them, so she's just trying to find any possible opportunity to to get herself out of that that dungeon
3: to get (laughs) renewed
0: yeah yeah
4: (laughs) yeah i just think it really sucks for her because quentin was really one of her only like real friends i feel Mm -hmm. like she didn't try that hard to become friends with anyone else except for maybe Penny, but like the Penny she knew is also gone. So, right. Yeah, I, I feel I just feel tremendously bad for Alice because like Julia and her never really got along. And mm-hmm. I think Julia sees it as like a big fuck you because like, you know, she's the whole reason she even got her shade back to begin with.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: She sacrificed the potential to get her own shade to bring Alice's back.
0: And
1: Julia's entire problem so far is what the fuck am I and what the fuck do Mm -hmm. I do with myself? Um, And that is specifically because Alice fucked up the keys. Um, Mm -hmm. If Alice didn't touch the keys, Julia's chill.
4: Well, that brings us back to it. We actually talked to Henry about it last week as well. And we all kind of came to the conclusion that even if Alice hadn't destroyed the keys, everything probably would have gone to shit anyways.
1: Oh yeah! <laughs> <And> try telling <laughs> that to Julia. Like, yeah. Yeah. Julia knows that a year ago, or however many months ago, um, Alice did a fuck up thing, and now I'm not a goddess anymore. Like, I don't think it's any more complicated than that for Julia.
3: It is so much easier to hold other people accountable for their actions than it is to take responsibility <laughs> for your own choices. And yeah, like a hundred percent.
1: Other shit. Av- it absolutely would have been fucked some, in some other way. Um, mm-hmm. m- mainly because Stella's a great actress and we like having her on the show. <laughs> um, but also because yeah. that's just how people work and how situations work. Yeah. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're right that when when something goes wrong, instead of thinking of all the different ways that it could have gone that still weren't right, mm-hmm. it's so easy just to... Yeah. Take yeah. that anger and frustration you have about things being wrong yeah. and direct it at whoever is the closest to the making it The easiest target, wrong. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: Yeah. So um, there, there, there was a bunch—we have a bunch else for this episode. And one of the things I noticed was there—well, I don't know. There just were a lot of little things that got us thinking about the books and particularly— the magician's land in this episode and i actually <laughs> i assigned us both homework mm-hmm. and made us both reread the chapter where janet watches the death of fillory um <laughs> and then <laughs> danny ended up reading all the way to the end and like staying yeah. up off the night <laughs>
1: <But> <laughs> <laughs> i mean to be fair that's what like it's from that
3: point on in the book it's so know, easy it's... to just
1: finish
3: it out. <laughs> you right? pretty much, the momentum is so strong. Yeah, you pretty much can't get anywhere in the like last quarter of that book and not finish it.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah. What got me thinking about that was the scene with with Sergio's character with Rafe where Rafe is telling Margo that Abigail and the other... I think he just says at first that it's Abigail who stopped talking but then it's right at the end of the episode mm-hmm. where we see the lizard thing and find out that the rest of them have gone mute yeah. too. Yeah. And... It, that's not exactly how things happen in the book, but like I don't know the way they the way it's set up makes it seem like maybe the talking animals are mourning Elliot's death, but it definitely made me hmm. think about how the magical creatures in Fillory go f- like feral after Ember and Umber die, and how like that's a signal of things.
4: Yeah, I yeah, because there's, there's no God right now.
1: Mm-mm. Right,
3: right. And Bacchus like calls that out as a problem at the end of four hundred and three. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs>
1: yeah, um. Yeah. I, mean, I can't speak too much on this. Um Because <laughs> we're gonna just have to wait and see. Um. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's there's weird shit happening all over the place on Earth too, and on <laughs> Hillary. Um. Yeah. When you. You know what? I'm going to sidestep this question because <laughs> all I see are landmines.
2: <laughs> so, spoilers. I can take over if you like.
3: Um, <laughs> well, yeah. So, Danny, I mean, do you want to? We actually did have a question for Sergi about this. Danny, do you want to ask it? <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, it seems like a minor plot point, but something like that would be pretty important in the world of the books. And Rafe seems way more upset and worried about it than anyone else. Sergio, what does Rafe think is going on with Abigail? Does he just think she's sick, or does he su- suspect something bigger is happening?
2: I think I think in my mind and how I thought of it, I thought that it would be better to play the... the um, Situation very heightened, but mm-hmm. it's heightened for Rafe because he, his life, or the muse, or the person, or the, the you the know the sloth lover. that he loves, yeah, it's not mm-hmm. communicating to him or you know with him. So that is his world destroyed. <laughs> so if that means that eventually, um, uh, when when he realizes and he has this aha moment that all the animals have been struck dumb, then what does that mean? Is it bigger than, Then is it, is it not, is it not her? Is it not her um, um, slothness that is mad at me? Is it everybody, <laughs> all the animals then? So I think it's a, in that scene, there's a weight lifted off his shoulders that this is not a, a her mad at me because of something that I did, mm-hmm. but, uh, um, but still his world is not, is not good. At the moment. So that that kind of um, heightened situation was there without Mike having to give anything away from the rest of the season. Um, that's it. That's
3: it. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah teased
2: <laughs> before the
3: season started that the show would stay closer to the, to the books, to the source material in season four than it had in pre- previous seasons. And again, like without trying to spoil anything, I just want to ask Mike, how does... How does hewing closer to the source material affect your approach when you're like writing a new episode, or just the approach of everyone in the writer's room?
1: Did Sarah say how we we're staying closer to the books?
3: <laughs> well, okay, I'll tell you what we know for a fact. We know for a fact that we're going to see Margot in the desert. Um, okay. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know how much she has said we have theories. Okay. I get now.
1: <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I mean, that's... Now that we are at a point where um, the plot of the show is has taken on its own life, um, mm-hmm. it's left us with this great opportunity to go back to love to go back to yeah, love's books, the source material, um, and look at them. It's oh, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Um, our story is. Is now different from the books. We've done different things. Yeah. We have a new Penny. Yeah. Um, yeah. All these kind of weird Thank God. things. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. the core of the book and the core of the show are still the same. Yeah. So, like Margot's, the, the thrust of Margot um, yeah. is still there. So it yeah. it lets us go back to these rich, delicious yeah. scenes and movements in the book. Yeah. Um, yeah. and look at them in a very mechanical way uh, yeah. of like, okay, yeah. so it's in the book like this, for this, for yeah. this specific reason for the book, um, mm. like why is Margot alone? Okay, it's because yeah, for whatever reason in the book. Yeah. And then we get to go to those same scenes yeah. and sort of break them apart, break mm. all the pieces apart yeah. and yeah. fit them back together in a fun way for the tv show um so i think it's like the in terms of staying close to the source material the the heart of the show and the heart of the book are still the same heart um and i think we found that a lot more this year than in season three because in season, season three was so much about um momentum and propulsion and we're on this quest and there's seven keys and it's very struck that that itself that concept was very structured but this season we yeah we get to go back and kind of just sit with the old books and talk to them for a little while and ask like well why did you have this scene and why did you introduce that character then and um hmm. what does margot mean when it's anger all the way down <laughs> yeah and hmm. sort of pick at those questions um, that's uh, it's been a really it's been extremely fun from a writing perspective to have this great delicious well of um, material with beautiful images and themes and drives character drives I mean and then yeah just figure out the story we're trying to tell with a TV show and repurpose it repurpose those Stories for that, to that end.
3: How many times have you read the books at this point, Mike?
1: Oh, I have no idea how many times I've read the first one. <laughs> no, literally, I have no idea. The <laughs> second and third, I don't know, three or four times each? Maybe more?
4: Um, I've only read the third a couple just because, like, it's so, like, much.
1: Yeah, yeah. and it's <laughs> weird just like... <laughs> yeah. I, I say that, yeah. I say, I give that answer with a question mark, yeah. um, because, like, I, I've read Marco in the Desert 25 times, maybe, yeah. but that's, like, 10, pages. <laughs> yeah. At the death of, you know, the section you're talking about, the death of Hillary, yeah. 10 times, I don't know. Yeah.
4: Uh. Uh, Oh, no, because yeah, like, <laughs> <that's, why?
1: laughs> no, it's like yeah, I do the thing you did you know, where yeah, I start to read it for one, you know, like oh, I, yeah, there's this one fun detail. Let me read <laughs> go back
2: to it. Yeah,
1: back to it, yeah. and yeah. then all of a sudden it's a couple hours later, and I finished the book.
4: Okay. I actually <laughs> realized something last time I finished it that I'd never noticed before. What? what was it? You know how the Fillory books are actually called Fillory and Further. Mm-hmm. and there's never ever a mention of like the further part but then when Quentin and Alice are talking about going on the cozy horse right. and she's like let's go further <laughs> or he says let's go further and I was like it's the further
3: part of going further <laughs> it's amazing the details you pick up like you and I we will get to this in a second so don't don't worry too much I was talk- I was like Yapping your ear off about Ragnarok this entire week. <laughs> and only today, after I'd already like read that chapter once and I went back, was like, oh, there's actually a reference to Ragnarok. In the chapter on the destruction of Fillory, and I thought that's why you were talking about it. I nope. was right
4: there. It was ravens. It was
3: ravens that led me to think about Norse mythology, and then I was learning about Loki, and yeah. Anyway, <laughs> Sergio, what's it? So you haven't you haven't read all three books, right? Um, no, I haven't. What is it... I'm always so curious for people who, like, come to the show and don't have that reference of the books, what it's like. Like, what do you see... What is the show about to you?
2: The show to me has always been, and I think it's it's a testament to what Mike was saying, that to go back to when you have a book and you go back to the core of the story and all the characters, all the characters are very well defined and created and, and structured, uh, I'm assuming because there's that that base layer of, of, of material, I think. And then... Um, uh, as a, as a, I'm, I'm thinking that as a writer, it's, it's amazing to have that, that to base your, your work on. Or, but yeah, my, my experience with the show has always been the humanity and the characters and how all the characters do not move a finger without basing that in, in, reality and in humanity. Even though this is, you know, this fantastical world, but no, everything's based on, on reality. It's a tangible.
1: I think one more point I wanted to add is um, there's there's also a lot of fun, and I mean mm-hmm. these these books are actually I have no idea how many years old mm-hmm. these books are. These books were written in a different time, even if it's just four years back or whatever.
3: 2011 yeah. was the first published one, I think. It was when the first was published. So by the time
1: the third book was done, yeah, it's only been
0: yeah.
1: a couple years. But yeah. as you can see, the library has the same core <laughs> as the library in the book. Yeah. But yeah. we're like, I don't think we're being shy about what we're doing with the library. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. The library is
4: very different. I can't wait to see what you guys do with the library, Penny. Because... He's such a little dick in the book. He is yeah. well, that's
1: part yeah. of it, right? Like in the book the library is this like it it almost the bureaucracy of it all um comes off as
3: Penny annoying, being on a power trip. And penny and like yeah.
1: Penny being a little fucking prick. <laughs> uh,
3: I with love it when like
0: he's <laughs> and he's but,
4: like, oh,
3: he's like, oh,
4: Quentin, you owe me a year of your life for for taking this page for a
3: year and like <laughs> Is it Alice who punches him in the face, Hermione style? I mean, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. She does.
1: But for our purpose, in for writing a TV show in 2019, yeah. um, or twenty eighteen is when we wrote it, I guess, but still, you get the point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The the idea of authoritarianism the idea of holding information and only giving it to certain people yeah. um that has a new relevance today different than it did even 4 years ago yeah um so another thing we're we're finding that helps us get to work every day is yeah. knowing one of the things we can do again with this rich buffet of material Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. is talk about it is talk about like why is there a library is that a good thing Mm -hmm. is that a bad thing sometimes it's a funny thing sometimes it's a scary thing (laughs) but (laughs) it lets us um and this sort of goes into the difference between a tv format and a novel format where in a tv format you can spend an episode talking about that or a or a season arc so just Mm -hmm. being able to to dissect the elements of the book and sort of create a mirror uh for parts of the world we want to talk about is is a really uh great thing for us
4: so sergio what kind of myths do florians have how do they see their gods ember number and what if anything do they know about other gods like Bacchus?
2: i feel like they the the respect is unbelievable uh, towards the gods, mm-hmm. and uh, it was very evident. Since, if you guys recall, when they were trying to get Ember to in season two, I think trying to get Ember to come, that they, they they thought, okay, well, first of all, little cakes to get them little cakes, so they respect that and they know <laughs> that the gods so so well, and also throw an orgy. Why not?
0: Um, <laughs> well,
2: who doesn't like an orgy? But also, uh, you know, he does. So let's they respect i feel the gods and they adjust to whatever their personalities are to keep mm-hmm. everything and Fillory in peace that's the, that's the way that i see it
3: i have another question for you that's sort of around like the mythology of Fillory by philorians they have grown up with talking animals with abigails and humble drums just as like okay. part of their lives do they see that as a mythological thing in any way, as like something derived from the gods? Or do, do they just think that's what animals do? They talk.
2: That's that's what happens. That's what animals do. It's it's normal to them. Uh, I feel that that's why whenever Fen, and, and last season when Fen went to New York, everything was so um, different for her. It was, oh, you know, she was like a little kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and even like that the little thing that they did with um with uh Josh in the Uber. Uh-huh. And um that was so good. That was so funny. Um yeah, that
3: um Oh the Lion King one. <laughs> the Lion
2: King, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's normal to to philorians that um animals speak and uh they have feelings and they have uh needs and they and wants and yeah, they're normal citizens.
4: <laughs> Clara, your question reminds me of there's this line in the the new Spider-Man movie into the Spider-Verse where um, Spider-Ham comes through and and it's voiced by John Mulaney. So of course it's ridiculous and he's like, <laughs> Spider-ham? he's like, do he's like, do animals speak here? <laughs> and like the person, like the person hears him there, and he's like, I guess not.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that's really good. I need to, I need to see it. I haven't seen oh a movie in oh theaters for like four months. <laughs> <laughs>
4: there's the animation is is crazy. Like there's nothing like it. It was amazing yeah, I see it,
3: <laughs> okay, so um, I don't want to get too far without going into crackpot theory territory because <laughs> I promised some mythology. Um, I do have a couple like other mythology questions before I give you my full, like, I've been going off the deep end and I have, like, three tabs <laughs> with three different mythologies open at all times <laughs> kind of situation. So the, the first thing I have um, is just kind of the role of fate. That's something that this episode in particular has made me think about a lot, in part because of that sort of exchange between Quentin and Alice. Well, I mean, because we've seen the end of the books, because Alice comes into this episode thinking Quentin's going to die, and then when she goes and she tells Quentin... Um, that his death is, has been written into his book, he's basically like, well, can we game the system? Can we just, like, do it faster? And they do it faster, but then they, like, show up, and it looks like everything's going to happen the same way. So, like, you, I feel like we were almost tricked into thinking at that point that, like, there is a real strong fate component, and then what changes it seems to be some, like, very, very deviant choice um when he makes a completely different choice when he decides not to to like stand in the way and to prevent Alice from killing the monster because Elliot's there suddenly there does seem to be another option so i guess i am curious mike about how how you as sort of a proxy for the other writers think about fate in the context of the show and like, what should we take away from that scene? I don't know, anything you want to throw in there about Cassandra, you're welcome to.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we've definitely said on the show your fate is what you make. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we've also... I mean, look look at Penny, for example. Um, Which Penny? uh, OG Penny. Okay. (laughs) He got out of the poison room he didn't die like it said the book like the book said he was going to um but he still died yeah i I think for me um uh, i'm gonna go this is my my view on it um i think fate is something that we and dark characters can read into a lot of things um That if you're looking for something to happen, there's a good chance you can find it, Um, so long as you, you know, don't put too strict of boundaries on it. Um, If you're looking, like if Quentin, or I'm sorry, Alice was looking for, okay, if we change these specific details, everything will be fine. Yeah. And they changed twenty till they got there a couple of days early. Yeah. But yeah, and then you saw yeah. the dog and the person. Yeah. But like, or is it because they're in a park and there's dogs in parks? Hmm. You yeah. yeah, we yeah. we didn't want to answer that concretely because, frankly, we don't know either. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. people's. I think that's. I. I. I yeah, I could. Belabor the point and add a bunch of other extra words on it.
3: Yeah, like, is it fate or confirmation bias? Who knows? Yeah,
1: yeah, (laughs) exactly. If you want to find fate in something, you can find fate in anything. Um, But what matters in that moment, at least to Alice, is at least Quentin didn't die in this very specific way. So, like, that's another good point for her, because she helped Quentin live a little bit more.
3: So Danny, I'm curious if you've thought more about the Alice Cassandra thing, but that also kind of made me think about how like Alice just is this very smart observant person and there's a lot of ways in which I can I can see her identifying with Cassandra and feeling like she knows everything that's going to happen in people's lives. Just just sort of not by having actual prophecy, but like by being an observer and also feeling outside the circle. I don't know, Danny. Have you thought more about Alice and Cassandra? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't thought too much more about it, just because
4: like I feel like I'm starting to pull away from the fact that she might actually turn into Cassandra. Um, too simple. It's kind of a big risk. I don't know if I'll do that. I feel like I feel like they're just two separate characters that just both happen to be played both by Olivia
0: at this point. <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: but I did realize, since I did finish reading the book again, that they they talk about fate and the books as well in oh, the yeah? uh, book. And Pen- Penny just kind of shushes them off like, no, no, we're not talking about that. And then they move on.
3: <laughs> Wait, but what did they <laughs> and, say? And the
4: whole fate thing, Um, I don't have the exact thing in front of me, um, but basically kind of just like, she's like saying how um, if you were to change it, would it change the book as it's written?
0: Oh, yeah. Um,
4: and he shushes them off and he's like, no, nah, like, We're going to move on. And then they move on to like the Fillory room and then that whole thing with the map. And she was like, well, this map's wrong and so Fillory can't die Mm -hmm. because they missed all of the outer islands. And basically challenging fate as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think there's also something to be said for why the fuck do you care if it's fate? (laughs) (laughs) What what the fuck are you going to do about it? There's nothing you can do about it, yeah. Then what the fuck are you gonna do about it?
4: I don't know, Braves like about that. <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: I, I was actually thinking about like 23 in me, right? Like I <laughs> we I I wonder this a lot when people like get the 23andMe things and they like find out if they have the gene for breast cancer or like some other disease and I just feel like I wouldn't wanna know. Oh, I mean, like, nice. yeah, I'd want to know I if, didn't. like, it could be stopped, but. Mm-hmm. I actually did yeah. it. I thought it was really
4: interesting, 23andMe. Um, but it, it genetics is, it also takes pieces and, like, even though you could potentially be, like, a certain um, ancestry, it might not necessarily show up in your gene set. Right. So it's yeah. kind of weird.
1: <laughs> what is really interesting about this is um, it's just making me think of, like, Back to our earlier Alice discussion of just how driven and desperate she is to make a difference, make amends, um, reinsert herself in Quentin's life and the lives of her friends, but mainly Quentin's life. Um, Like, she's fucking challenging fate. Mm. She's seen Final Destination. She knows what's up. (laughs) (laughs) She's lived in our way. But... Still, just with the, you know, she she never takes note no for an answer. Mm-hmm. She no. sees yeah. she sees the definitive end of Quentin Coldwater or a book, yeah. and her first instinct is, yeah. okay, what can I do to change this?
4: I mean, she already did that as like a niffin. She was just right. like she saw Quentin dying on the ground and was just like, <laughs> fuck it.
1: <laughs> I mean, you, you could also twist it into like. Yeah. Or was fate that Quentin's book was written incorrectly and Alice read it, which yeah. sent them on a different course, which is actually the course they were supposed to be on all along.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I was like, wondering
4: I was crazy. wondering. I was wondering if Plover was being shady that whole time. Like was he actually helping her? Did he feed her false information? Did he show her incomplete? I think Plover was, being, Plover was being on the up and up.
1: He needed Alice's help just as much as she needed his.
3: He did not get it. <laughs>
1: no, no, no reason to really just to pull one over on her. Mm, yeah, he's not evil for the sake of evil. He's evil because he has terrible concepts of consent and age and uh, agency.
4: I literally trust no bitch. So I, at, oh, I think almost at, that's at every turn, I'm like, "Is this person shady?" Like, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's true. That's like half
3: of her notes are like, "This person is shady."
2: <laughs> I think. I think trust no bitch. I think that's gonna be my next tattoo. By the way.
3: That's, <laughs> I mean. I uh, uh, <laughs> that's a good one. Okay, <laughs> so um, should I go into crazy crackpot theory land? Yeah. Okay, so first of all, I I wrote a lot of crackpot theory in this, so anyone at any time should feel free to interrupt me, tell me I'm crazy, ask me questions, throw in their own stuff. But like, first of all, we also need to do like a full episode on mythology. Going into this, when I watched this the first time, so ever since like 403, even ever since like last season, last season we were talking, like Danny and I were talking a lot about, about the Titanomachy, and I actually... It's in one of the one of the episodes we talked to one of you about last season. We talked about the Titanomachy a little bit, and so going into this, I was thinking like, oh, is there a way that that can work? And noting, I, I like looked up some stuff about Kronos and found out that he was a shapeshifter, um, which got me like super excited because I was like, oh, he's a shapeshifter. The monster's a shapeshifter. Um, he like does weird time shit and is associated with destruction. Um, I think is going to (laughs) die. But but then I was also thinking, like, as I was on that path, I started to think about something that we had talked about in season three as well, about, like, maybe having a Hindu god brought in, like maybe a kind of Shiva thing where you also have, like, a cycle of death and rebirth. And then when I watched this episode the second time, Um, I was looking up stuff about crows, because when I looked them up the first time, the only thing I found in Greek mythology was this association with Apollo, and Apollo is the god who, like, cursed Cassandra with uh, prophecy and that nobody will believe her, but There's nothing else in the, like, mythology we've seen so so far that would lead me to believe that Apollo has anything to do with this. So I was, like, looking for other things about crows. Right, right. And crows are trickster gods in, like, every fucking tradition. Um, (laughs) So, like, from a whole bunch of, like, Native American traditions, like Haida and a bunch of other ones from the Pacific Northwest that I can't remember off the top of my head right now, um, to, like... I wrote it all down. I wrote a whole bunch of these down. Um, in in Hindu myth, there's a sage who observes the cycles of death and rebirth of the world, who took the form of a crow. Um, but the thing that I found that I hadn't thought about before was that um, crows or ravens were the messengers of Odin, the Norse god, who bring him, like, all this information from Midgard. And then, as soon as I, like, thought about... <laughs> Sergio's smiling because <laughs> he heard me. <laughs> He's, like, read some of this crackpot theory before. As soon as I started thinking about Norse mythology, I was like, oh, fuck, Loki. <laughs> so uh, I asked a friend who I know who I know knows a lot about, Greek, uh, about Norse mythology. I was like, what can you tell me about Ragnarok? Ragnarok, uh, so specifying that like going into this the only thing i knew about ragnarok the only thing i knew about norse mythology in general was like shit from the marvel universe which is not a way to get your mythology (laughs) (laughs) just as this show is probably not the way to get your mythology um no offense (laughs) but like ragnarok is this faded ragnarok's
4: a great movie though
3: it is it's it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) not not the way to get your mythology about like actual ragnarok i feel so weird saying yeah. actual ragnarok like when i when i talk about true mythology but like <laughs> it's not where you're gonna get like your actual ragnarok mythology but it is a great movie but so ragnarok is this like long faded um final battle between um the gods and the giants kind of like the titans where the gods lose so like one of the cool things about Norse mythology is like from the very beginning they know the gods know that they're going to that they're fated to fight this horrible battle and die but like they kind of do all the things to go toward it anyway. And I asked her if the like what triggers it because I had found conflicting things on the internet and she said that There's not, like, an obvious trigger. There's not one thing that people go to. But the series of events that set it off all circle around Loki, who is the, like, trickster god in Norse mythology. And get this, Loki is imprisoned by the other gods after he kills Balder, who is, like, the, I don't know, like, the Jesus-like god in Norse myth. He's, like, the, the, like, golden child. He's the um son of freya and she like goes around apparently like asking all of the gods and all of the like things in the world to promise not to harm him and she forgets to she forgets to ask mistletoe and so like basically loki throws a sprig of mistletoe at him and it kills him instantly <laughs> so then he gets sent to <laughs> I told all you <laughs> I don't. Yeah, or maybe he just like maybe it like hit his thoracic, <laughs> his uh, thoracic. Wait, it's not a- you know what yeah. I mean? The like the place that bleeds a lot. Maybe it just like <laughs> pricked oh, <de> a vein. <laughs> jugular. <laughs> jugular. There we go. Yeah. Why yeah. thoracic nerves? Anyway, <laughs> but like the punishment they arrange for him is they send him. To this, uh, they send him to this prison, they chain him up, they have this like snake dripping venom down, but his, his wife, who is like super loyal to him, she holds a bull above his head to catch the venom so that he doesn't have to suffer, except that when The bowl is full and she has to go empty it. The venom falls on him anyway and he starts thrashing around and it causes these earthquakes in Midgard, which is Earth. Um, and like all of these giants and monsters, um, come out and eventually the earthquakes, if I understood it correctly, shake Loki loose of his chains and he joins the giants as they engage the gods in battle and that is Ragnarok. <laughs> so like there's a lot more to it. There's like we definitely need a whole episode but the whole thing about like him being imprisoned um basically for like finding a loophole for like playing a game doing a trickstery thing and then accidentally being set free And um, his sort of accidentally being set free and, like, trying to... I, there were just so many things that made me think that, like, maybe this is where it's going. That makes a lot less sense now what I'm saying, and that it did before. But I don't know. <laughs> Fox, Danny. I
1: mean, I Watch that show,
3: <laughs> I believe it's called You're
0: American Gods. a great show.
2: No. Yeah, yeah,
4: American <laughs> Gods is a great
1: show. <laughs> oh, I guess I, I just don't. Sorry, that's
3: why. get on that. I don't know, Danny. Did any of that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Okay. Mike, I was purposely not asking you because I, <laughs> I don't want to like force you to say for a fifth time I can't say anything. <laughs> no, no
0: chance. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just get caught I'm up. I'm
4: always there to just tell Clara that like her crackbot theory has gone too far.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Do you think it went too oh, far? I can <laughs> say. It.
1: The the monster is modeled after a god. Um, uh-huh. You hit a bunch of different mythologies. There's some mythologies you didn't hit, <laughs> um, Shit. and it comes from more from that. Yeah. But yeah, all this to say, in the room <laughs> we talk about mythologies from all over the globe, yeah. um, oh and a lot of times because of that conversation. Some things will get synthesized mm. unconsciously, from by the writers, um, yeah. Yeah. which maybe is where is feeding feeding uh, my confusion. It's putting crack in your pot. No. <laughs> um. Why
4: don't you just light it for her? Uh, <laughs> you got <do> it, Danny. <laughs> uh, um. I, that's what we talk about it all the time, about how, like, clearly, like, a lot, it's never, it's never just one mythology no. that's being looked at, like, clearly multiple mythologies. And the thing is, is, like, when you sit there and you really think about mythologies, or even different Bibles,
3: like, they're all telling the same story. Yeah. Generally. Yeah, a lot of
1: residents, yeah.
3: Yeah, well, that's, yeah. Right, like, I keep coming back to that cycles of death and rebirth, and it is in so many mythologies right like the fact that the the titanamaki doesn't have actual death and rebirth is only because it like stops at a certain point mm-hmm. right it's it's not the the rest of that path leading up to it isn't nearly identical in a lot of different ways to what i just described for ragnarok or to like the hindu cycles of death and rebirth that we've talked about it's just mm-hmm. <laughs> as it turns out all religions are the same
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, right. but there's also a lot of like similar events. and I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, look at how many religions or how many holy books have a great flood in them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. just that's the easy example off the top of my head. and I know there's a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's just like, I think uh, throughout history, a lot of people have had the same questions, mm-hmm. and those mm-hmm. questions get reflected through these religions and these cultures. And a lot of those questions are the questions that we ask on the show and in the room. Yeah. Of, very interesting um,
3: questions. I, in a way,
1: you could look at the magicians as a show trying to answer the question, why get out of bed today? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> to watch the magicians, at the, clearly. <laughs> the very beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're <laughs> We the writers and the characters are open about yeah. listen, it seems like whenever we do stuff, things get more complicated.
0: Yeah. Um yeah.
1: that's also a product of how you write television mm. <laughs> and write more seasons and all that. Yeah. Um yeah. but also it's it's a question of like, well, why keep going? And then we try to answer that. Yeah. Um yeah. so yeah, I think the reason it's sparking so many different cultures and religions for you is um there's just some very central questions that everybody has
0: yeah. um
1: mm-hmm. it's often expressed through religion yeah um it's often expressed in through tv shows or yeah. i mean even sports narratives like you talk about yeah. Death and rebirth, and I think of oh, that makes me think of Kurt Warner's football career, <laughs> and the like. The narrative of Kurt Warner is this old dude who couldn't do anything and was bagging groceries, um, and then went on to win a Super Bowl, and like who had given up on football and then got back in and went on to win a Super Bowl. Like, it's the the kernel is the same of um you may be down but you're not out or there's something else to keep to keep striving for
2: yeah and that's why it connects to so many people in all different parts of of the world
1: i really hope that a bunch of people on your podcast or that listen to this and now are going to look up
3: kurt warner <laughs> I mean I'm going to because I know K- nothing K-R-T. about
2: it. <laughs> it's gonna trend as soon as you put it online it's gonna trend be better, I promise
3: you we don't 2000... have that many listeners <laughs> <laughs> uh,
4: what I what I was what funny was last week and I hope it doesn't happen again is that the magicians trended as the magish
2: canes oh yeah the, <laughs> the magic canes
3: yeah, <laughs> oh really
2: and then well, a bunch of people spelled that. it
3: wrong. Both John and Jade put it wrong.
4: I think, in there. It, I think it started actually as the um, the magician's like sci-fi
3: like Twitter did it wrong. Oh. It just went <laughs> from there. <laughs> it's like everyone retweeted that one tweet and it went
4: <laughs> forever. <laughs> well, no, it was even coming up as like the suggested one. Like I did it once or twice on accident because it was the suggested like mm-hmm. one, and I'm lazy and I didn't want to type it out all the way, and then I realized my error.
3: I'm
1: mm. scared
3: so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so much mythology. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I just keep thinking about it. and you telling me that I haven't found the right culture, the right mythology yet. It's just going to drive me crazy. I'm just going to spend Yeah, that's
2: that's just fueling her a little bit more that you gave oh, her she's not gonna sleep she's not gonna sleep tonight he
3: knows what he did he's trolling me <laughs>
1: I never said I was an agent of good
3: <laughs> I think to be a writer to be like a successful writer you you have to be on the chaotic side of alignment at least
0: <laughs> actually like, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's I, I think you're yeah, I don't know you may be joking but yeah, I not. think you're 100% right it's yeah, like um, I, I'm completely blanking on who said this um, but somebody described writing as creating a character, telling them to climb a tree, throwing a bunch of stuff at them, <laughs> and then asking them to come back down the tree. Yep.
3: <laughs>
1: and I've never heard it distilled better than that.
3: Actually. No. That's <laughs> that wasn't Danny talking to you, that was Danny talking to her cat, for the record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, sorry, my cat decided to try and
4: bite my headphone and I was like, please don't bite all the way through.
2: Oh, I, I thought you, you disapproved of okay. I was like, okay. She
3: doesn't Sergio, <laughs> no. so is that I mean, do you feel like there's any resonance between that and acting?
2: A hundred percent, yeah. But I <laughs> think that's the that's the best the best stories are are are. Where they ask you to climb a tree, throw a bunch of stuff at you, and then come back down, and then uh, do obviously it again. you gonna do it again? Or are you gonna come back down? Obviously changed, uh, and it's gonna change something in you. But you have to still remain true to the core of the of the person that you that you're playing. It's the yeah, cycles yeah. I, of
3: tree climbing and rebirth. <laughs> <laughs> I do know how to beat a dead horse. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay so we should we should move on to fashion soon but before we do because i think our listeners would kill us if we didn't ask what the fuck happened to penny <laughs> <laughs> i'll find out <laughs> <laughs> danny do you have any crackpot theories i give a long one do you have any crackpot theories about penny no i have no
4: crackpot theories about penny specifically <laughs> um no, I always have crackpot theories about Todd, but <laughs> <laughs> I just think Todd is like more important than he is like played out to be, and it eventually
0: happens. It, it's
4: slowly happening. <laughs> I love Todd. Anyways, I'm, I'm just waiting no, for the day. I don't think I have any.
3: I'm just waiting for the day when she gives Todd an MVP for an episode he's not in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you will find
1: out with what happens with Penny in, in good time.
3: Okay.
4: I think it's the next episode from what I've yeah, heard in articles.
1: from seven days <laughs> is a good time.
4: Because <laughs> uh, there's already, like, all these, like, spoiler interviews out there. Oh, yeah. That, like, the one about uh, – there's one t- saying that Julia, like, gets possessed in a, a couple episodes because – there's another character, and I was just like, that's a huge spoiler that was given. And
3: well, and she says she gets though. possessed by, like, the sister of the monster or something like that, right? See, more fuel for my crackpot. <laughs> I mean, Fire. yeah.
1: That, yeah. <laughs> yes.
4: Stuff <laughs> <Tough>
3: happens. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm glad oh, we can yeah. test your uh, your... Poor uh, secret keeping skills, <laughs> Mike.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like... I feel like he's purposely covering his mouth so he doesn't give anything away.
3: I totally did see him smile uh, at some earlier <laughs> point when um, when we were talking. I saw him, like, go like that, too. I won't say what, though. Mostly because I forget. Uh, take a drink. Take a drink.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this whiskey is definitely going to help me keep secrets.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Said no one ever. Oh, no, no, no.
1: Actually...
4: <laughs> you know what we never spoke about, actually. What? I, what? I need to bring it up. Bring it up. Uh-oh. Like I, we we both put, made notes about it uh, about how like the specific people that meant a lot to
3: to Elliot. Oh yeah. And, oh, yeah. Well, Dude, the the people are... he. Uh... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. no. So when he uh, brings when when he summons fodder. for uh, people to stand... Like, human shields. The human Mm -hmm. shields he summons are Fen, Margot, and Welter's Margot, specifically, and Quentin. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, like, we were both mentioning just how great we thought it was that Fen was included in that because, like, even though they have this difficult relationship and he... Treats her like shit at the beginning and like doesn't seem to see her as like a full person. When push comes to shove, he knows what a badass she is, and
1: yeah, and like she's terrifying with she knives.
3: Yeah, <laughs> she's the first one to like. She runs into the fight. She's the first one to yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah,
4: and then well, and the, and then just seeing Walter's Margo again was
1: great. <laughs> I was, honestly, I had. So much fun writing
3: that. It was, that was just a duel. I have to say, I have been enjoying these last two episodes, uh, watching Danny, you develop a crush on Margot. It it just, I don't know why I find that so satisfying. It's just, you've been like totally camp Julia for so long and I've been totally camp Margot. and I guess it feels like I'm winning, even though I'm sure that's not what it is.
4: Oh, trust me, I still love Julia, but Margot's just been, like, really hot in the last couple of episodes. That's because she's
3: really hot. <laughs> I
4: mean, she's, she's always hot, but, like, she's, like, I don't know, she's, like, kicked it up a notch this season.
1: I was amazed with her performance in this episode. Mm. Um, like, we all knew Summer was good, really good, but... She, she hit levels in this episode specifically and also later throughout the season
0: mm-hmm. that
1: honestly just blew me away. Um, <laughs> yeah. One episode in particular later in the season, you'll, if you're, you, Margot will really enjoy.
3: Is this 210, which it has been revealed by your bosses as the musical episode, is this 210?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that, okay, too. Yeah, they all get, like, the PR... PR department tells them what they can and can't say. And they I'm don't defo- tell you guys. <laughs> well, if I tell them that it's airing, then they might spoil something. <laughs> yeah.
4: there's actually been a lot of spoilers this season, which I was kind know, of surprised about. there's been too many. Last year, they were so so like mum about like everything. Like,
3: oh, you mean spoilers like from John? Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: well,
3: and you've already been renewed, right? So. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> ah, fuck it. Yeah, um,
2: fuck it. Just drop it all on one night on sci-fi. yep. Yeah,
0: yeah.
4: <laughs> uh, I would not mind that. Like, all I would. I, was, like, I would be mad. A whole fucking season. <laughs> 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 I think it's a fun show to like. It's a fun show to break down and like think about, though. Whereas, like, some shows are like way better as a binge. But like, my crackpot
3: think- theories definitely benefit from. <laughs> The, uh, the serialized you format. You can
4: still have Crackpot Theory. Is, I wouldn't have time, to do, finished, wouldn't have time <laughs> to do the research.
3: I wouldn't have time to do the research.
4: No, you would. You'd have an entire fucking year to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I I love and hate like shows that drop like, on one night because you finish it and then you're like, I have an entire fucking year to wait until this show comes out. Whereas like... When you are watching an episode weekly, it takes a good chunk of time. And then you're like, okay, now I only have like eight months to wait. <laughs> <laughs> I also really like Fen in this episode, just the whole like her finding out about Elliot yeah. being dead.
1: Yeah. That storyline, unfortunately, there's a lot of that on the cutting room floor Aww. because of time purposes. <laughs> um, but yeah. I can just. All the all the gold is in the show, but there's there's a lot that breaks my heart a little bit that didn't make it in. Um, but is the case when you're on a show, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. that's the nature of it.
3: I do really love Brittany's performance. You were mentioning the like pile of clothes scene in your notes, <laughs> <laughs> Danny, and like I I just love. I think in this season especially, she has really mastered that line of like pushing the drama just like, just to the edge of comedy. So, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, she still comes across as sincere, but also it's impossible not to just, like, burst out laughing anytime she's on screen. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. right, yeah.
2: Brittany's so good prepping for that for that scene. Um, yeah, she's... They're both amazing, Summer and Brittany.
4: So was all of Elliot's costumes, like, actually, like, in a pile?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's just a bunch of um,
3: it yeah.
4: was
3: such um, a huge pile. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like if anyone is going to... If that's an appropriate way to celebrate anyone's life when they die, it's an appropriate way to celebrate Elliot, Elliot Waugh's life. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah.
4: Definitely. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> no, I
3: think he would have been honored. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so one more thing that I wanted to mention <laughs> about this episode, very tiny, it was just that I think my favorite like just for pure joy and entertainment watching part of this episode was watching summer have to say, what's your favorite part about summer? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Can I be honest? Risa? I didn't even think about the like ness of that <laughs> until we were. I
0: <laughs> really? Yeah. I, 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 I,
2: I heard it in the, when we had the table read and I, I, I was like inside because I thought this is so funny.
1: There's like, let's, we can give credit to my subconscious or something, but.
2: Oh my God. Yeah. Literally
3: no pun intended. take credit for
2: like. I literally thought that you were, you would be smoking a cigarette, like whatever in a room. Like they're going to, they're going to have fun with this one. Oh my God. That's funny.
3: Were either of you there when that scene was filmed? Like, was she cracking up?
0: um
1: that was no that was i think I, there was only like one or two days i wasn't on set and that was one of those days <laughs> i know yeah, if i had been on set i would have i'm sure i would have gotten it. <laughs> um but i mean when you're writing you're like for me at least like it's the characters it's not the people yeah um, yeah i'm sure there was some subconscious action going on there <laughs> or something yeah <laughs>
3: all right uh with that i think it's time to move on to fashion uh so i'm start. i'm gonna start by saying just my favorite outfit of this episode was the one that alice was wearing when she went to find quentin um oh yeah it's first of all it's like gorgeous but also it reminded me a lot of alice's style in season one it has this like innocent almost childlike vibe going on and mm. i kind of wondered i mean i'm sure something around that is intentional on magali's part but i kind of like i thought of it as like an intentional character choice too, like she chose this. She wore this to remind Q of the Alice he fell in love with.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I am sure that Moggily made that conscious decision because, <laughs> like,
0: she's a genius so
1: on this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. She thinks he's like, she gets that stuff in. Um, it'd be really interesting to ask Olivia. I mean, Olivia would be the expert on this whether Alice made that choice consciously or subconsciously.
3: Yeah. We got to get her on this season.
1: I could definitely see an argument for both.
3: Danny, the outfit, one of the outfits you mentioned was Margot's outfit. Um what struck you about it other than that she was hot?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, I I liked it. It reminded me of her morning outfit from when oh, Alice died. Alice. Uh-huh. Um, it was just like all black and it's a pantsuit, right?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What struck me about that was that it had, like, a lot of structured elements in the dress. And it kind of looked like armor. Like, I I think I I thought very literally of a, like, male soldier's dress garb. Not Mm -hmm. thinking of... (laughs) What's the Star Trek term? (laughs) Dress uniform. There we go. Dress uniform. (laughs) I know that's just a military term, but I always have to get to military via Star Trek, so... (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it just made me think that she was trying to protect herself from having to process Elliot's death. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, that's that's her whole thing, this episode. um, And she nails that line so beautifully that if she starts to think about it, then there won't be an end to her mourning. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really astute observation.
3: I have to say that I really like that we are having to see Margot go through some of that. Obviously we now know Elliot is not completely dead, but in the books, there's nothing like that. There's no moment where she really loses him. And no, it's, I think it it is in a lot of ways, the only thing that could make her vulnerable. It's what made her vulnerable in season two too.
1: There kind of is in the books. We just, it doesn't sit with it that much, but, um, yeah. When she talks about when she and Elliot are riding horses going into the swamp, I think.
3: Yeah, to see the weird snapping turtle creature. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um she does she does talk about and this is where she gets into her story about the desert. Right, right. Um, but that's kind of there's there's a lot in between the words in that section, I think, about it's a lot of what Margaret's not saying there. She's not talking about. Certain aspects of her emotions or her vulnerability yeah. um, that we sort of drew on for for her in this period of Margot alone, Margot without Elliot, um, Margot having to define herself alone.
3: Yeah. Sergio, fashion question for you: When we were prepping for this episode, you said something about Rafe's outfit being different than normal in it. I, I didn't catch that, so i I wanted to ask you about that. Like what's different?
2: Yeah, he usually wears uh, the same kind of uniform, but then this uh, because it was uh, there was a lot of um, grieving and and uh, remembering Elliot and all the ceremonies that that needed to to happen the the ah uh, uh, thought. I don't know if, if this was a conversation that you guys had, but it, uh, the color color purple was the 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 color that it was the grieving color mm-hmm. for. Um,
1: yeah, and Magali drew that. I I could guess, but I, it would just be a guess. Uh, there is a specific culture Magali was drawing from yeah. that uses purple as a grieving color. Yeah, uh, and she did this the same thing with the wedding in three oh five. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, f- like drawing from All these different Cultures to create This Florian uh, Culture And custom yeah. mm. Some of the scenes that are on the floor um, Margot ha- also Has a purple cape on Yeah um, mm-hmm. Fenn is wearing purple uh, yeah. It just sort of becomes the Florian color of Of grief and mourning
2: Yeah mm-hmm. And uh, when when I had the fitting, yeah, everything was purple, all the the colors. And we had this um, fitting at the same time, Brittany and I. And yeah, she had it, it was all purple that day. Um, and Madely was talking about you know the meaning behind behind it and everything. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I was just, I'm, I'm just excited. I was just excited because Rafe only gets to wear one thing, <laughs> except for the orgy. The orgy he wore red for that.
0: Um, I, <laughs> I forgot about, about. that.
3: <laughs>
2: Yeah, but uh, but this, this one, yeah, I like this,
3: Sergio. I I just realizing that you have been on our podcast twice, and both times you've had to remind me about the orgy scene.
1: <laughs> yes, I mean had to because it seemed like he volunteered it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, this is
3: it,
2: it's something. It, it's not just you; it's just everyone. It's it's a daily thing. I'm just walking around the street, and I talk about the orgy scene. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Did you know I was in an orgy mm. once that that's me being the character, God, that's not actually me.
1: <laughs> on okay. a Starbucks cup I don't know what that's all about like...
3: <laughs> mm. um okay, so before we leave fashion, anything anyone else wants to point out? I don't think so. Elliot's still in taco cat yeah, well yeah. the real well the real Elliot is in his
4: right Bill's clothes again that is, is true. he looks nice.
3: <laughs> Danny, I love how your comments on those are just everyone's hot. Everyone's hot. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, so we'll go to MVP. Danny, I did I did it first the last two, so back to you. Who's your MVP? I mean, I feel like the obvious
4: choice here is Hale. So I, I gave it to Hale because he's playing double duty in the episode. And uh, he just did a really great job going through and all of his traumatic moments and yeah i think i, I just have to give it to hale did a great job what about you
3: well so I'll, I'll get to mine in a second but that actually reminds me that there was another question i had for you mike which um <laughs> dog incident one and dog incident two are still on the board when elliot says everything remaining is either daddy issues or dicks so which are they <laughs> <laughs>
1: <my> life, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes i would <laughs> Listen, there's two dog incidences. One and of each. Two different things it could be. Huh? So I really it's so hope facto. It's
4: not dicks.
2: <laughs> Just not in the way you think. Oh. <laughs> I, think that, I think that makes it um weirder. <laughs>
0: All
3: right, orgy guy. <laughs> <laughs> Two Yeah, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, your character was in an orgy and is also into a sloth. So I feel like no legs to stand on here. <laughs> only you know dicks to stand on. How slow
2: orgies are with sloths. I mean, that's. Oh my they God. They
3: only poop once every eight days. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Slothbacks. <laughs> okay. Um, my MVP. I, there's
4: actually a. No, there's actually a part in the book where she, where, uh, when Janet's seeing the death of Philly and she's just like, starts to think about whether or not the sloths will actually fight each other because right. they're so slow.
3: She was like, I bet they're, I bet they're like a month behind everyone. <laughs> They'll show up after the world has ended.
1: Oh my God. Have <laughs> we talked about the new sloth emoji, by the way? Oh,
0: Yes.
3: Wait, it's it official, is it an official magician's one? No, no. It's just, it's just an regular okay. keyboard. Yeah, like the emoji keyboard, rather. Yeah, um, the emoticons. I wonder yeah. if there's one on Android. I can find out. <laughs> <laughs> um, while while I'm looking that up, I will also tell you my MVP. Uh, so I know you said Hale's the obvious choice, and he is amazing. But first of all, I gave it to him last episode. But also, I really the thing the scene that was for me the most moving was that scene with. Um, Alice giving that speech to Quentin, and I think Olivia in this episode is kind of the the understated, amazing <laughs> standout performance. And so I gave mine to I gave mine to Olivia. I think her journey this season has already Alice's journey this season has already been so emotional, and in this episode especially, it just amazes me how Olivia can make her face show six different emotions at the same time, and you can like see every single one of them. <laughs> Feel like. That one is grief and that one is <laughs> shame and that one is, <laughs> and, that one is <laughs> and that one is love. And like you can you can see all of them on her face at the same time. So that's it. That's my vote. My vote goes to Olivia. Mike. I would
4: also like to give a runner up to uh, Stella's middle finger.
3: <laughs> 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 Solid choice. OK, <laughs> Mike, how about you? Yeah. Um
1: my MVP can I do an MVP and a runner up too?
0: Yeah,
1: sure. There's no yeah. rules here. My MVP <laughs> honestly is Mira, who directed this episode. Um, we gave her not the easiest script to shoot. <laughs> like, no. Even just I'm just thinking specifically about that party PKC scene, like the three PKC memory scenes mm. that like were all one seamless scene um Mm -hmm. yeah my what i told her was like so i watched this awesome childish gambino video and i was basically thinking that so like uh good good luck (laughs) Uh, uh, (laughs) between that and like it was not an easy shooting schedule and also the uh just making that act six work yeah. with all the intercutting um, mm-hmm. between the throne room and the park yeah. and the whole dynamics of everything happening in the park. Um, yeah. I, th- I honestly, I was blown away by the work she did. I thought she did a really, really fantastic job with an incredibly difficult script to shoot.
0: Um,
1: mm-hmm. So, thank you, Mira, and also, I'm a, sorry, but not really, because <laughs> knocked it out of the park, so that. Um, and my runner-up is Charlton. Um, oh. <laughs> I was just delighted. I was delighted with him.
3: He was great. Um, Wait, who is that actor? What's his name?
2: Uh, I think his name is Spencer Daniels. Daniels, thank you. Yeah, I yeah. know
1: Spencer's uh, I have a cousin named Spencer so I was about to say my cousin's <laughs> name <laughs> absolutely
0: not right
3: I, he was great he was like a very good I, I never know I've only ever seen this word written but knife the, like naive but with an F <laughs> that's the yeah, noun for him. yeah yeah
1: <laughs> and he no. I thought he and Hale had this such great chemistry um, on the day and absolutely on screen too yeah um, I thought he was just was really a really fun foil for Hale.
4: it reminded me of, and I think you guys did this on purpose, um Hyman from season three
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean that it kind of it, I don't know if it was specifically on purpose, but mm-hmm. definitely the spirit of it was there of like, you we need somebody in there to cut some of this heavy, heavy, heavy drama with an outsider's perspective. And in Hyman's case, um, he's a delightful little pervert. <laughs> in Charlton's case, he's a homebody who just is so delighted by this world and wants to know more about
4: it. He just really likes Lost.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm just thinking of the of the character breakdown on an audition. If you see, okay, like your character is a delight, a delightful little pervert. You go, <laughs> oh, got it, got it, <laughs> nailed it.
3: Was that what it said on uh on um Hyman's character <laughs> <laughs> sheet? <laughs> all right, all right. Sergio, how about yours, yeah. Sergio?
2: Um, I think mine is going to be. Uh, I think the most obvious one, just because uh, carrying everything, all this big emotional load since uh, season three, uh, it would be Hale and Jason uh, because uh, yeah, that's it. The connection oh, yeah. they have, and they're they're both great and amazing.
3: Quiet. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, with that, we'll go into episode ratings. Um, I said at the top of the podcast that this is my favorite episode of the season so far. And that's absolutely true. It might be my favorite episode of the series so far. I'm, I'm letting myself reserve judgment a little bit. But, like, <laughs> aside from all the great relationship dynamics and the fast-paced plotting, I also just loved how much it got me thinking. There were these, like, allusions to things in the books There because it draws in material from last season and even from before that and from things that we don't even know we're in the past for Elliot. I just felt like it had me reanalyzing a lot of what I'd already seen. And everyone's performances are brilliant. So with that, I think I've waited long enough. I'm going to award this episode my first 10 out of 10 for the season. Ooh. oh, <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> your turn.
4: I'm pretty sure I already gave a 10 out of 10. I forgot. Um, I think but- you did. <laughs> 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 um, I also... Give this episode a 10 out of 10 just because it just perfectly balances, like, this, like, angsty drama and just hilarious um, anecdotes. And, yeah, I just, I I really enjoyed this episode. I don't know if it would take place as favorite episode, just because I think it's still a little bit hard to beat a a life in the day. (laughs) So... Round of applause for Mike. That's it.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, okay, Mike, obviously we're not going to ask you to write your own episode, but we would love to know what your favorite parts to write were.
1: Oh, God. I mean, act the Alice Quentin scenes. They were the, not logistically most, like writing the final part confrontation was gave me the biggest goddamn fucking headache <laughs> i've ever had <laughs> like just that was that was tough yeah. um yeah but writing those alice quentin scenes um it was it was extremely tough emotionally to find a lot of that stuff so like it was extremely difficult to write but once i had finished writing it um It felt so fucking good, to be honest. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. just finding those like when you have two characters that know each other so intimately, uh, like the tiniest little scratch can be so big um, that walking around that delicacy is a challenge, but also uh, what I fucking love about writing, I guess.
4: It's it's hard to watch as a so I'm like very much in the middle as a Quentin and Alice shipper as much as I am a Quentin and Elliot shipper. Mm-hmm. So this episode cuts pretty dandy. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> OT3, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I find because both of
2: those interactions are so honest that you can you can tell it like jumps out at you. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, palpable.
4: Yeah, Sergio, how about you? What got you most excited about this
0: episode?
2: Every time I get to work with Summer and Brittany is amazing. <laughs> that got me very excited. But then, like, like I, I think I mentioned at the beginning of the of this podcast is that uh, reading the the at uh, the table reader reading for the first time. Um, yeah, this episode was. Very, very well written. Just very exciting from the get-go. From the, from the line that we now know that Mike did not know that he was writing <laughs> Summer's line uh, about Summer from, uh, until the the end. It was just, it was just so good.
4: I want to know what everyone's favorite lines were. Oh yeah, if you can person. remember a specific line, because <laughs> mine was definitely the daddy issues and dicks from here on out. I just <laughs> like it.
3: <laughs> I feel like that also. That's like a, a classic Mike Moore line: "Daddy issues and dicks." <laughs> I'm pretty
1: sure that was in the first draft.
3: And it's <laughs> <laughs> you know me. Sergio, <laughs> so, what was your favorite?
2: Mine wasn't mine. It was. It was the one that I mentioned before. I even like highlighted here. <laughs> the, the the apologize for what you've done, but never for who you are. That'll never mm. that'll never change. So why pretend? Yeah. yeah, that was my favorite of the whole.
3: Script. That's a good one. Mine is in that speech that um, Alice and Quentin speech. I think you actually wrote it down, so I'm trying to find it so that I can like get it right. But it's just Alice saying that over and over that again she's that always she's always trying, trying right? And <laughs> Then to like, I don't know, that whole scene, but the I'm always trying felt really big to me.
4: Mm. Oh, so much
3: angst. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just noticed that Mike is out of booze, so (laughs) I think that means we should wrap up.
1: Yeah, I'm glad I I timed this glass. Timed
3: it. <laughs>
1: oh, so,
2: uh, it's all planned.
3: Yeah. 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 Um, Sergio, Mike, thank you so much for joining us um, and for letting us shout our crackpot theories at you, and for uh, you know hiding your smiles so we don't get too spoiled, <laughs> and just generally yeah. for being lovely guests. It's been an absolute blast as always. Um, thank you for yeah. having us.
1: Yeah, thank you very much <laughs> as always.
3: Listeners, thank you for sticking with us into Season 4. Remember to subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and now Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. And if you like us, please rate us on iTunes, even if that's not what you use to subscribe. For some reason, that's what all the other podcasting apps use to, like figure out where you fall in their lineup of recommendations. Um, So the more positive ratings we get on iTunes, the higher we show up in search results, and that means other fans can find us. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at PhysicalKidsPod.
2: Bye! 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 (laughs) Bye. Bye.
3: mind slut. He's a gold fart